Hey everybody, it's Humphreys. Welcome to the Flalilonga podcast. We hope by the end of this presentation, you'll be encouraged to take your next right step in your walk with Jesus. Enjoy. Well, good morning, Flood Church. It's so wonderful to be sharing the Word of God with you here this morning. We have been looking at a sermon series called Osandandakula, which means don't worry in Chichewa. And the, the series is really about experiencing God's peace in the midst of chaos. And specifically today, I want to talk about dealing with uncertainty and being assured that the presence of God is your contentment. Each one of us searches for lasting contentment. And I would like to, us to consider today that the one we look for is never found in this temporary world. The lasting contentment we look for is never found in this temporary world. We're in such a strange season. Things are not as they once were. The entire global community is facing new and challenging circumstances. Many people in our church are facing very rough times. Loss of employment, loss of educational opportunities, confusion around decisions in the, about the future. None of us really know how this is all going to work out. Sometimes we have plans that were once solid, and now they look at best possibilities, and possibly at worst, they are shattered dreams. Most of us are not where we thought we would be. I have four children, I'm married, and now I'm a homeschooling parent, and I always said I would never do that. We haven't reached the goals we thought that we would, and we continue to face uncertain times as we look ahead. I want to tell you a story about a certain time that I was driving through Area 47. I had just picked up our oldest son, Jasper. He was visiting his friend, Ben. And I had, three of, uh, I had our other three children with us, along with my friend Diana and her son. So in total, we were two ladies and five children. Now it's getting late and we were passing over some very rough speed bumps and uh, Diana and I just continued chatting when suddenly the car just began to shake uh, and make a very loud noise <clears throat> and the children said, Mom, what's going on? So I pulled over the truck and only really then did I realize it was 8 o'clock, it was Friday night and I was in Buandilo. Now, for those of us who live in Lilongwe and know the reputation of that community, uh, it wasn't the best place really to be at that time of the week for ladies and children. My husband, Jeff, was in Canada at the time, and so I did what I usually do when I'm in trouble, which is WhatsApping my growth group and saying, we're broken down in Buandilo, just pray, it all works out. So I got out of the truck, and you know what happened next. Large numbers of people were available to help us, to fix everything, and help us get back on the road. And as God's grace would have it, we broke down right in front of the filling station, which is directly adjacent to the place where tires get repaired. And very quickly, men sprang into action. It was dark. There were lots of people. You know, I felt responsible for myself, for my children, and for Diana and her son, who had just uh, been in Malawi for a short time. So, you know, like I said, if, if you live in Lilongwe, you sort of know about this community, and I just didn't know how things would go. 
One of the men said, don't worry. And he ran down the road, and he actually managed to collect the bolts from the tire that had fallen off and come loose. Another one insisted, don't worry, when he got the jack out of the truck and began working on the tire. And still one more consoled me, saying, don't worry, when a young boy brought him some chamba cigarettes that he lit while he worked on my tire. Don't worry. So I, I know that they were trying to make me feel better and reassuring me that they would be able to handle the situation. But I was worried. I didn't have Jeff to help me. I was alone with my weak Chichewa to help me sort out the issue. Things, they seemed to be going all right and, and more and more people were arriving to help, with, to help us. And despite how often I had been assured, oh Santandaula, I was still worrying. It was late, the kids needed to go to bed, how much should I pay when this is over? Is Diana okay? I just didn't know how it was all going to turn out. Now our passage today is a very famous one. It comes from Philippians 10, no, 4, verses 10 to 13. And some of you undoubtedly have, have had it memorized. So let me read it. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, it's important for us to know that Paul is writing these words while he's actually on house arrest in Rome. So, you know, the, the biblical scholars who spend lots of years studying these things conclude that for about two years, Paul was in a rented house in Rome on house arrest where he was free to visit with anyone who came, yet he himself could not leave. Because of his status as a Roman citizen, he was able to do this, and so he writes this letter from house arrest to the Philippian church, and he wants to thank them, of course, for the gift that they've sent him, and he usually encourages believers, and he does so in this letter as well. He reports on his own situation, he commends some other leaders, and then he also wants to warn against maybe those who are too liberal or too legalistic. What message does the passage have for us today? I would suggest that primarily, though we cannot overcome the present chaos we face, we can certainly attain a level of contentedness that will abide beyond the trouble we are facing. In verse 10, Paul says, I rejoiced greatly that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. And so the Philippians knew of Paul's circumstance, but there was a lack of opportunity for them to help him. Maybe the airports were closed for a very long, undefined period of time. Or parcels could not be mailed, or maybe the currency was weak and bank transfers were difficult. Whatever the reason, Paul had expected the gift, and it didn't come too late, and it didn't come too soon, but reached him at the right time. So he actually, he doesn't condemn these Philippians that, 
they have delayed, but he rejoices in God as the ultimate source of the need fulfilled. His increase in joy, of course, is linked to his net, his meet, me, 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 met need. But perhaps more than that, he's also thrilled with the generosity and the obedience expressed by these disciples. And so his satisfaction actually comes from the spiritual growth in the lives of others and those specifically who he had discipled himself. He says, you've renewed your concern for me. And this word renewed, it talks about, a pl- it actually is used about a plant that was sleeping in winter and has opened up in spring and has put forth fresh shoots. Paul's joy comes from this very deep understanding that Christ governs the affairs of this world. And this gift was definitely God's provision that had reached him at the right time. Now let's go to verse 11 where Paul says, I'm not saying because I am in need. I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. It's a habitual frame of mind that Paul's speaking of. The word content here actually means self-sufficing, which is a characteristic that was deemed important by certain religious groups of the day. There's a sense that he is sitting loose to all things of the world, and he has enough without desiring anything from someone else. The term indicates that a man does not make the satisfaction of his needs dependent on other people, but he finds it wholly within himself. And just a very interesting to note is that this is the only time in the New Testament that this word is used. And it was a favorite, as I was mentioning, of religious groups, and specifically the Stoics of that day. They believed that man should be sufficient to himself for all things, completely able by the power of his own will to resist the shock of circumstance. And Paul is saying to the Philippians, I am self-sufficient, not through myself or my own ability, but through the power of the new self, through Christ who lives in me. He's learned something that only God can teach. And brothers and sisters, God wants us to learn something that only he can teach. He has a message for us in this time of chaos that only he can teach. A contented mind is a blessing. It's invaluable. It arises from the belief that God is right in all of his ways, even when we can't understand them. Now let's look at verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And the apostle finds sufficiency within himself, and he doesn't look for it in the thing that he's lacking. He doesn't look beyond himself for some type of fulfillment, but rather he's completely fulfilled by Christ who lives in him. Now this this idea of having learned a secret, it's actually a metaphor from the initiation rites of pagan mysteries of the day. There's this sense that Paul has been initiated into this secret teaching which is a mystery to the world. The truth that was once hidden has now been brought to light by the gospel and the experiences that the Apostle Paul has are not merely speculation, but he had gone through the fire. It becomes not only a theory, but also a practice. Paul can speak clearly to the sudden upside-down things that we face when grace is most needed. He says, 
I've learned to be content in plenty and in want. And I want to suggest it requires as much grace to keep the heart right in prosperity as it does in adversity, and perhaps even more. Adversity itself does something to keep the mind in a right state, and frankly, prosperity does not actually do much to improve the soul. It certainly improves our physical experience and the, the levels of comfort we're able to attain. But there is not much that it does for our own souls. Quickly in verse 13, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now, I have seen this verse printed on shirts. I've seen it waving on banners. I've heard it blasted over sound systems. And frankly, we usually take it to mean that we are able to do anything because of the strength that Christ gives us. However, looking at this passage as a whole and looking deeply into the context of what Paul is writing, he's actually not saying that we can have strength to do all things. He is saying that we have strength to bear all things, to endure all things, to carry the weight of the burden of being without or being with plenty, to endure being hungry or to endure being well-fed. So this is the ultimate and ideal consciousness of the Christian. The verse is not urging you and I to keep perfectly the command of God. You know, I can remember being a teenager, and we would use verses like this to, like, help us to try to stay pure in our dating relationships and avoiding sin and other types of temptation. <clears throat> but Paul isn't saying that we have the strength to perfectly keep the commandment of God or live a sinless life, but we're able to bear every circumstance that we face because of his faithfulness. So we have to understand it together with the previous verses that indicate that it was by the Lord's help that Paul could use both prosperity and adversity to his calling in life. In addition, the word strength here actually doesn't even refer to physical strength, but it speaks of moral strength and ethical practice. Paul could be content in every state and know how to conduct himself, both in adversity and prosperity, both in poverty and in plenty. So that night in Buandilo, it gave me a new perspective. I was able to see it from an angle I had never before viewed. I'll be honest, I had never been to Buandilo at night before. Some of you are going there very often at night and you need prayers, but... That's another sermon. <laughs> I had driven past it a number of times. I was so familiar with how to go over those speed humps in the daylight hours, but I really had no idea how to have an experience there in darkness. And suddenly I saw things that I hadn't seen before. I could see ladies, ladies of the night looking for their business. I could hear the, the pumping beat of the bass as each speaker competed with its neighbor. I could smell that chamba in the air and the sweat from the men as they worked on the tire. It was October, so it felt hot, heavy, the air still so warm even after the sun had disappeared. I could taste the dust in my mouth as I chatted with a vendor looking to sell his last portion of Ufa. So the experience that I knew of Bondilo was simply driving by but it was changed significantly by being present within it. Yes, 
I had known what it was to look at it, to drive by, to hear about the stories, but to actually have my feet on the ground for a couple of hours to see what it was like to look at it at eye level instead of from up above in my car. It changed my perspective because I was not only near the chaos of this community, but I had brought my own chaos. My own broken car had forced me to slow down and to stop. And God met me in that time of uncertainty and in an environment I had never faced before. In the midst of while this repair was going on, I just heard someone say, Hi, Renata. And I looked up, and in front of me was my friend from Growth Group. Upon reading my message on his phone, he was in class, and he decided to leave early and come and see what help I might need. So <laughs> I shook his hand, and I just felt this relief flow over me for certainly the tangible presence of the community of Christ was exactly what I needed at that moment. And I relaxed right away, knowing my friend would help me, and he did, he negotiated with the mechanics, and then my children got out of our truck and climbed into his car so that they could ride home with uncle. And he escorted us back home where we arrived safe and sound. So in our Christian life, we have seasons when we cannot receive the blessing without going through the struggle. We look at the mire and the struggle we're in and think there's no way out, yet be so sure, brothers and sisters, you can't be rescued, you may not be rescued from the situation, but surely you will be escorted through it. The Holy Spirit is so near to each one of us. Earlier in Philippians, Paul says those exact words, the Lord is near. He's not only aware of our situations, but he is working in them and through them. And we have to consider that God did not stop the chaos, which means he allowed it. So how then do we live? Contentment comes from the resolution that all you possess, all the good you entertain, all the breath you enjoy, every good thing comes from Christ. And every trial you face has also been allowed by his hand. Like the Philippians, we must do what we can with what we have. And like Paul, we have to be able to, we have to be ready to receive when it's available. And yet continuing and abiding in peace and avoiding resentment when the thing that we want, we can't have. I just have a few points quickly. Number one, contentment is the resolution that God is the source of all you possess. Of course, we have jobs, we have sources of income, we have a business, we have a well-wisher, we have a donor, we have a parent. But ultimately, we can never mistake the provision that we have comes from any human. It comes from God himself. We find our truest rest when we recognize the source of all that we have. Number two, contentment does not come from receiving, but from what you have given. All of us struggle with wanting the thing we don't have. If only I had that new car. If only I could have just one date with that girl. Every time we think we'll be satisfied with the next thing we receive, we we set ourselves up for certain failure and disappointment. <clears throat> There's a lady who works with us at home, and one day I was noticing that about two kgs of sugar were missing, and so I was asking her about that, and she said to me, why would I take the two kgs when I just have a bale at home? And I said, well, 
It's never about what you already have. It's always about what you don't yet have. And that's the struggle that we have in each of our hearts is not to be satisfied with the nice dress I'm wearing today, but it's still the one that I don't have. Shupe, I'm coming to Mayamiko. <laughs> Paul's truest joy comes from the thing that he has given, not the thing that he's received. The Philippians are obedient to the gospel, and that's where Paul's rejoicing comes from. Number three, con uh, contentment is holding very loose to the things of this world. Paul tells us so eloquently, he has learned the secret to be content, to have lots or to have nothing. Ultimately, we are not a body with a soul. We are a soul with a body. And so this world is in our home, and as believers, we have to look beyond the temporary things that cause us struggle right now and realize our home is there, not here. It, it means our possessions do not possess us. It means our relationships do not consume us. When we left Canada in 2014, I had this really nice dining table, and it belonged to my great aunt, my Agogo Angono, and she was very special to me. And so there was a certain family in our church who needed a table, and so Jeff and I decided, let's give them the table, because they need it. And so then, fast forward, a year, and I'm scrolling on my phone, and I see the photo of the table at someone else's house. Just imagine. And I remember looking on my phone and zooming in to see my table that I had given to someone else that belonged to my relative is now at another person's house. And I had to check my heart. I had to remember, oh yeah, I gave it away and I live on the other side of the world now, so I can't get it back, and I don't need it. So as believers of Christ, we have to consider that everything in this world is second to Jesus. He is the object of our truest affections. Number four, contentment is a habitual frame of mind, and it's not a destination. In every circumstance in which God is pleased to place me, whether it's plenty or in want, in honor or repro reproach, in strength, in weakness, in ease or in pain, if it's single or married or childless or too many kids or with school fees or without, it's being satisfied even in the midst of the needs we face going unmet. This is a way of, of training our minds to be satisfied in God no matter what our life circumstance may bring us. Contentment comes not from where I am, or contentment comes from where I am and not where I wish I would be. Lastly, contentment says that God is right in all of his ways. Who among us has looked to God and said, can you sustain me? Many of us have. I have. And I'm sure you have too. But our contentment is found in the truth that God is my portion. And whether it's plenty or want, every believer can say, our only comfort in this life is that we are not our own and we belong to him. Earlier this year, I started to feel unwell. It started with a sore throat, then with an aching body, and a couple days later, Jeff started with a fever aching body, headache, I lost my taste and smell. And so we called the doctor and she said, well, you need to get tested for COVID. 
And we said, well, we don't really feel that sick. And it feels more like just a cold or some kind of, you know, flu. And she said, no, you need to get tested for COVID. Up until then, we didn't know anybody else who had had it. We hadn't talked to anyone. Uh, we hadn't been in contact with any positive cases. And so we kind of humored her. And if she's watching this morning, that's true. We didn't really want to do it. And uh, the test came back positive. So Jeff and myself both tested positive for COVID-19 earlier this year. And uh, three of our children as well had it. And the news of that positive test was like every scary news article you've read about it was running through my mind. We all have asthma, so there was that thing to consider. But I'm alive today, hallelujah. <laughs> and it's difficult to say, God, you are right in all of your ways. But when we pass through those valleys, he is still there. He is faithful. He is with you side by side. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He doesn't expect us to go through these trials without him, but rather he's the one leading and guiding us. And while he didn't stop it, he did allow it. And his presence was with us throughout the whole thing. And so I want to encourage you today, in the midst of the chaos that you're facing, and the uncertain times of your life, and the things that you don't know if they're going to work out, God is with you. He is faithful. He has never left you. He will never forsake you. And even in the midst of absolute uncertainty, look for your contentment in our life to come. Because it will never be found in this temporary world. But the, the truest joy and the truest satisfaction comes from the knowledge of where we are going and not where we are. May God bless you. Thank you very much for taking the time to listen to the Flalironge podcast. For more sermons, visit our website at floodchurch.com and don't forget to subscribe to the Flalironge YouTube channel and like our Facebook page. Stay blessed.